I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. I am your non-usual host, Matthew Wellington, and I'm joined today once again by Nick Whitfield. What's up, everyone? Good to be back. Uh, despite the uh, absence of the New York Knicks from the playoffs, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Still glad to be here, though. Yeah, definitely. It's been a it's been a, a couple of weeks for me, or three or four weeks, I think. Obviously, I was uh, I've carried the load for several years now, but now I'm taking a little bit of a break this season, so I'm on load management, back for the playoffs, um, chipping in with some big minutes now. Um, so yeah, just a nice nice opportunity to talk to Nick again. <laughs> <laughs> Housekeeping and stuff this week. There hasn't been anything on the website. Uh, Twitter was fairly busy on Sunday night because obviously we had some really sort of UK friendly tip off time. So that was that was good for us over in the UK. And we are looking on sort of content for the off season and things. So rest assured, we're not going anywhere. Like we will be coming up with some things. Um, you know, the Olympics are coming up and stuff soon. So there's plenty plenty to be talking about. But for the next five six weeks, it's going to be all NBA playoffs, and then obviously we will hit the the finals hard like we we normally do. Um, I guess first off, we should probably start with around the association. Kirk, have you got your your funky intro that is I've never actually used before? Just got to bop my head a little bit. Um, thank you to everyone who's joined the the stream tonight. I can see a few of you saying hello. So evening, all everybody. Um, right around the association this week. This is my uh, supposedly brief recap based on Mike Miller's not so brief recaps. Um, <laughs> Tuesday evening saw the uh, the Brooklyn Nets take their series 4-1 after they won Game 5 in the TD Garden 123-109 uh, Durant, Harden and Kyrie Irving combined for 85.2 points per game in the first round which is the most by any trio in playoff history or in NBA history sorry per Elias Sports um, in other random Celtics related news Jason Tatum had to defend his use of the word curating on Instagram as Orlando's Mo Bamba called him out and I quote I know damn well you ain't using the word curating on your own, to which Jason replied, chill, you know, I went to Duke. Great education. So I just saw that midweek and thought that was interesting. Um, also spotted on social media this week as I was st- strolling, uh, scrolling through my Instagram feed, um, Celtics and Timberwolves legend Kevin Garnett told the world that his mother once drew a shotgun on a recruiter, um, which reminds him to this day to, to always set the tone. So I thought that was an interesting one. Um, how, would you, how would you approach that, Nick, if you had somebody turn up with a shotgun? <laughs> Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a bit intimidated. Um, Wednesday saw the, the 76ers and the Jazz advance to the next round after they demolished the Wizards and Grizzlies respectively, sealing their series wins 4-1. Um, the same night, the Mavericks took a 3-2 series lead. The same night as that, you heard the Atlanta Hawks silence uh, the Madison Square Garden faithful as Trey Young channeled his inner Reggie Miller, taking centre stage in what was effectively the series-clinching 30-foot three-point shot to quiet the crowd. Uh, and he took a little bow afterwards, which apparently is based on the fact that there's a lot of shows in New York. Um, Trey Young became only the second player in NBA history with three straight 30-point games as a, vis- as a visitor at MSG in the playoffs. Um, Thursday, Thursday's early game sorry, saw Nikola Jokic finish with 36 points, eight rebounds and eight assists as the Nuggets eliminated the Trailblazers in six games on the road. They came from 14 points down to seal the series 4-2 and advanced to the Western Conference semifinals. Michael Porter Jr. in that game had 22 points in nine minutes, and at one stage, the scoreboard read Portland 28, Denver 27, which is bonkers. He had 22 of those points. 
Um, shortly after Terry Stotts and the Trailblazers mutually agreed to part ways after nine seasons as head coach. He's certainly been a regular um, Portland coach since we've been doing this podcast. Terry Stotts owned a, a fun, well, I say a fantastic record. He had a 402 win, 318 loss record with the Portland Trailblazers and obviously oversaw that Damian Lillard, LaMarcus Aldridge tandem for a while. Um, the late game on Thursday saw the Lakers reign as the NBA champions come to come to an end as they were bounced out of the first round of the playoffs by a dominant Devin Booker. Um, I'm sure Ross McLeod's around somewhere. He's probably screaming his, screaming his head off right now. Um, Friday saw the Clippers tie their series with the Dallas, which obviously forced a Game 7. Um, and the Magic parted ways with head coach Steve Clifford after three seasons as they looked to embark on a full rebound. Um, Steve Clifford had a 96-113 and 113 record as the head coach of the Orlando Magic. Saturday night saw the Bucks and Nets face off in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference semifinals. James Harden left the game early on and would not return. He's still being evaluated and is, I think he's doubtful for Game 2. However, his absence made no difference for the Nets as they basically walked to a, to a 1-0 series lead. Um, Milwaukee, from my perspective, probably got to make quite a few adjustments for that game, refocus, find their perimeter game. They were terrible from downtown. downtown. They just shot 20% from three, which was not great. Um, and I think they were 42% from free throws, which is awful. Um, Sunday night saw two UK-friendly tip-offs, as I mentioned earlier. The first was game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, Atlanta exploded in the first half, burying Philly in a 20-point hole early on. They're blaming the second unit for that today, but I think they all had something to do with it. Um, a valiant fight back finished just short, and what gave us a crazy ending, it finished 128-124. Um, Trey Young finished with 25 points and 7 assists again, and he's become the, the, the sort of star of the playoffs right now. Game 7 was then played at a UK-friendly time of 9 o'clock which had NBA Twitter in a, in a rather good mood, and it was very chatty last night, so it was great to see. Um, and after a tense first half, the Clippers broke away from the Mavs, and a woeful Kristaps Porzingis sealing the game 126-111. LA, uh, the, the Clippers now face uh, a semi-finals matchup with the Utah Jazz. So it's been a busy, busy week, and I'm sure that it, it gets boring reading all that, but um, <laughs> what were your favourite moments of the week, Nick? My favourite moments of the week were mostly bad, in fact. I was hoping to see... <laughs> As a Knicks fan, understandable. <laughs> yeah, not, not only that, though, in like... Um, so, no, let, let's address that head up. I think it, I can't be disappointed with this season for the Knicks because the expectations were so low coming into this season. You looked at that roster and you thought, this is not a roster that can compete uh, at the kind of upper echelons of the NBA, completely um, outdid those expectations, uh, had a really fun season, particularly picking up Derek Rose um, halfway through the season, how he performed literally becoming uh, the linchpin for the team, basically, in the playoffs. Um, yeah, it was a real fun season. And compared to um, seasons past, it looks like the Knicks actually have a chance of having a bright future for a change. So uh, yeah, obviously disappointed, but even like going into that series, the thing I kind of hadn't really uh, noticed was how since Nate McMillan had taken over, the Hawks uh, actually had like were tied for the best record in the East since that period. So they were actually not a true five seed um, going into that series because uh, they, they struggled with injuries all year. And as we've already seen in game one against Philly, that is a real potent offensive combination of players they have. Um, Trey Young really kind of finding his best form of his career. 
Uh, I actually really enjoy the like pantomime villain stuff. So I was totally <laughs> into that. I found it hilarious. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's my theories on the Knicks. I was, I was actually hoping to watch that game one against Philly and watch Atlanta get beaten down after that. But yeah, it didn't happen. Well, it kind of happened in the fourth quarter, but they Philly gave away the first three quarters, so didn't mean anything in the end. But yeah, it was it was a strange game last night because obviously, like the 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 Sixers got off to such a bad start that everyone was like, "What the hell's going on?" Like. I saw I was on Twitter at the time and people were tuning in going, I've just turned the game on and they're down like 20 points. Like what on earth is going on? And Danny Green was getting all sorts of stick online for how he was playing and Dwight Howard as well. Like they were not playing well at all. And then they, they changed their, they sort of, they made some adjustments in the second half and they got right back into that game. And at the end was just a constant string of like what you would probably, you know, term like comedic affairs. Like you just had, players falling over with the ball. You had an inbounds pass that was stolen by Simmons and then thrown in for a layup. Like it was just completely bonkers. And like from a neutral's perspective, absolutely brilliant. That is, they are the sort of games that, you know, are going to help grow like the NBA over here because, you know, it was on Sky. It was, you know, eight, seven, eight o'clock. Like that is a prime time for somebody to be watching on a Sunday night. And you just had a, a completely wild and bonkers ending. Um, so yeah, no, that was it was the moment, and I think I feel like Trey Trey's taken over these playoffs. Like it's all you seem to read about is Trey Young has broken this record, like you know franchise records, normal playoff records. He just seems to be doing everything, and that's what's made them so lethal. I guess is the fact that they've got him, who's a fantastic playmaker in himself. But then you've got Bogdanovich, who's there as well, and you've got Herter, who's having a great game. Like it feels like they have multiple weapons to damage teams, and that's obviously what happened in the Knicks series. You had. The Knicks were, they kind of almost ran out of ideas. Like Derek Rose came in to sort of solidify them at points. But besides that, I think you could kind of tell that the Knicks were sort of a inexperienced playoff team. Like they were, you know, a bunch of young guys who were not necessarily, you know, beaten by the glare of the lights, but they were struggling in that environment where every single shot counts and you have to take your time. And it's one of the themes that you tend to see in the playoffs. Like even in game one between Brooklyn and, um, Milwaukee the other night Milwaukee just started terribly and they could never get back in the game and if you do that in the playoffs you end up in trouble and it was the same with Philly and you know the Knicks were like that in several of their games as well the Lakers as well it's but that is the theme you, you end up you know struggling and you're in double digits and you have a poor game or you start rushing things that's when these teams that are smarter and more experienced tend to take advantage of you yeah it was um the things I've noticed between just uh, speaking about Atlanta still in the series against the Knicks, uh, Julius Randall had the worst stretch of games he's had all year in the playoffs, um, which was really disappointing after like an incredible regular season from him. And he also, and I mentioned it when I was last on um, pre-playoffs, how Randall absolutely dominated the Hawks in the regular season. So that was, um, yeah, pretty disappointing to see, but, Outside of that, the other thing, the Hawks were just like one of the worst possible matchups for how the Knicks play. And offensively, they don't have um, the kind of creative playmakers who and decision makers and guys who can like really control a game. Because the one thing you need to do against Atlanta is exploit Trey Young's defense and like try and really make him work, get him on switches against bigs and really make him work on the other end. And the Knicks weren't able to do that at all. And it was incredibly frustrating to watch. Um, and the thing I noticed again about Philly uh, watching that game is 
their pick and roll defense was abysmal to start the game. That's why they started off so poorly because there was numerous possessions in a row even where Trey Young would come down uh, and be it Gallinari or Capella or whoever would set him a pick and he would either just go straight past the defender and that was all he needed or they would try and trap it. They would even like double straight off it and he had one pass to an incredible shooter, be that Herter or Gallinari or or Bogdanovic or, or anyone like that. And so their rotations were all over the place. It was only at the end where they really managed to turn it into like uh, a physical battle rather than one about basketball where they actually started to bully the Hawks a bit. And I'm curious to watch game two in that series to see like, do they even start game two in a full court press to really kind of, because with the likes of Tybal and Ben Simmons and those like big, strong, long guards, yeah, that that's the way you get to Trey Young. Um, and even like you saw it in Bede a couple of times where he plays the pick and roll really high and just his physicality as Trey Young goes to the hoop was enough to kind of put him off late in the game. So yeah, really, um, it's an interesting series to watch that one because it was so one-sided in either direction at different parts of the game. Yeah, it might turn into sort of a pick your poison. Like, yeah, you can trap Trey, but then you're going to, you know, John Collins or somebody else is going to score on you. Gallinari, you know, is just turning up and, and making a big impact, even though many people a couple of years ago thought he was washed for some reason. Like, you know, he's one of those guys who just consistently turns up and, it's been a general theme, like just looking across like other games, like Dallas the other night, the fact that Luca was trying to do everything. He didn't have any assistance from anybody else. Randall was trying to do everything for the Knicks. Like, and the Knicks all season have been one of those teams that have just, their expectations are always going to be outsized because of the market that they play in. So every, they get to the first round of the playoffs and everyone just seems to think that they're going to fly to the finals, but that was obviously never going to be the case. So yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy, um, weekend really or should I say week there's been a hell of a lot going on um in terms of the rest of the playoffs I mean the surprises that are happening at the moment if we just focus on sort of the zone right now like would anything be surprising to you at this this moment in time because no matter how the coming weeks unfold we're going to see you're going to we're going to see new finals new finals winners um we're going to see new phrase new faces it's a complete sort of tectonic shift I guess from you know LeBron James and Steph Curry to some of the younger guys that we're seeing now coming in, you know, Luca's dominating, Trey Young's dominating, and even someone like Donovan Mitchell, like the Jazz after falling that down in that first game when he obviously didn't play, they have manhandled the Grizzlies mostly and and won that series comfortably. So they now go into the what will there be their first their first true test of this postseason. Um I mean just quickly, the Nets last made it to the NBA finals in two thousand and three. That was back when they played in New Jersey. The Sixers last made it in 2001 when Allen Iverson was in his prime. Um, the Jazz haven't been since 1998 and Michael Jordan did a thing. Um, <laughs> apparently, Mike, Mike Miller's told me about that a few times. Um, the Suns haven't been since 1993 and Michael Jordan did something again. Um, the Bucks haven't been to the finals since 1974. That was a long time ago. Um, and the Hawks' last appearance was in 1961 when the franchise was actually in St. Louis. Um, and the Clippers and the Nuggets, who are also still remaining, and two very talented teams, They've never been to the NBA Finals at all. So this is totally uncharted territory for NBA fans. It's certainly uncharted territory for us. Like we've been doing this for nine, you know, eight, nine years now. And we've never seen any of these teams have a real legitimate shot at making the NBA Finals during that period. Yeah. And one of the things I think is a big theme for uh, this playoffs is 
outside of certain teams like the Nets, for example, which is like some of the biggest established stars in the NBA on one team. But outside of that, what you're seeing a lot is the emergence of the new generation of players as the kind of foremost players in the league. And a recurring theme you keep seeing is are these like mid thirties guys actually going to be able to stay on the floor or not? Because we've seen <laughs> yeah. LeBron uh, playing through injuries. Chris Paul obviously got injured uh, for the Suns. Um, uh, the Nets stars Harden goes out. Uh, Kevin Durant's been fighting injuries all year. And yet these, these younger guys like uh, Yanis, like Jokic, like Booker, uh, like Donovan Mitchell are all starting to like really perform and actually not just like put up numbers, but actually get their team through to the last stages of the playoffs. So whether this will be like a real uh, turning of the tide in terms of who we think of as the elite players in the league, we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's 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 certainly an interesting one because like you look at the Lakers, they obviously went all in on getting Anthony Davis a couple of years ago. They obviously went to the finals and won last year, but obviously it was a bit of a it was a very unique one-off season that we'll probably never never see again. You've had a condensed schedule this year. I think LeBron was filming Space Jam at some point during the off season, so like the guy has just not had a, you know a break at all and. The AD one's an interesting one because he's a guy who, even when he was at New Orleans, he was just always injured. He always had problems. And you you partner him with LeBron, who is one of those guys who never seems to get injured, but is obviously now getting injured because he's at the tail end of his career. It's They have a lot to think about going forward, the Lakers. like How do they sort that situation out? And obviously with some of these other teams that have been bounced out this past week, you've got Portland and Dallas in particular. Like There's players on those teams who might necessarily... You know they might be able to help the Lakers, or or vice versa. They, you know, Lakers players might be able to help them. So it feels like we're at a point where you're going to have a new Finals champion, and you're going to have sort of new young superstars who have taken the center stage. But then you're going to have sort of a shift as in terms of how a lot of these teams that have been like this. You know, Portland have been pretty much the same unit for the last sort of four or five years, and now they're going to be having to make changes. Um, if Denver don't get anywhere, you know, you know, hopefully they will, but they will probably have to make changes as well. There's a lot of teams who've got quite a lot riding on this postseason. Um, so Dallas obviously crashed out in game seven. Luca did everything he possibly could. I mean, he had 46 points, 14 assists, seven rebounds in 45 minutes. You contrast that to his running teammate, you know, Kristaps Porzingis, 16 points, 11 rebounds, one assist in 43 minutes. Something is is going on there. And I think Kristaps has come out today. I saw a news flash on Bleach Report about he doesn't feel like he's a valued co-star. He feels like he's sort of less than a co-star. And one thing you could take from NBA Twitter last night was the amount of people slagging off Chris Stapps for the fact that he doesn't seem to bring anything else to the game apart from his size. Um, as a Knicks fan, who obviously saw Chris Stapps during his sort of prime days, the, the, the decline in his ability has been... Do you think it's down to him being injured or do you think it's just down to the way the league's changed? I think it's a bit of both in... That so, just in terms of his how he looks physically, he does not look like the same guy who we saw no. in New York. Where he one one of the most exciting plays he made regularly was chase down blocks on a fast break, and you do not see the Dallas version of Poisingis physically able to make those kind of plays. The other kind of play he would constantly make for the Knicks is. Uh, like put back dunks where he would, he'd be on the perimeter kind of like he is with Dallas, but he'd see a shot going up. And because it's like two steps for him to get to the rim, 
a shot would be missed and he'd be above the rim dunking it kind of like two seconds later. So I, I do think there's a physical thing there. And one of the things I noticed um, against the Clippers, and I, I was talking about it on Discord earlier just because I, I couldn't shake the image from my mind of watching the game where they, they were so much bigger. And I think that speaks to Dallas's roster construction as it stands now that they yeah. felt like they had to go novelty to compete with the Clippers by having the Boban and Porzingis on the floor at the same time for like most of the game. And yet even having those guys both like, what are they? Seven, three or something each. Seven, four, I think. Bo, 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 Boban yeah, is in, they, yeah, they're it's getting, nuts. <laughs> they're getting like out rebounded by the likes of Kawhi and Paul George at times, just because they're getting out muscled from under the basket. So yeah, I think there's a definite uh, component of Porzingis not physically being right. But there's things like his shooting stroke, which he's not going to lose. And yeah. the thing that I find interesting is I think it's it's because it was a game seven and it's because they, they were kind of going win at all costs. Uh, and I already talked about it with the double big lineup they're running, but also the fact that they went even more extreme into Luca has to be in control and use every single possession they have. And I mean, you saw it, he almost won it on his own anyway, but <laughs> particularly when you talk about the Mavs, the thing I feel like the, the I, I find a, f- a little bit frustrating on Porzingis's behalf is they could run a lot of the same kind of sets they ran for Dirk back in the day for Porzingis, because if you get him in the high post, he is not going to have his shot blocked because of how tall he is and how long he is. Um, and I feel like, yeah, that would create a lot for Luca off the ball uh, to get some easy shots. But um, Luca's a strange player in his own right in that he 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 can make step back three pointers like no one else in the league, pretty much, other than maybe James Harden and Dame and Steph. But he can't shoot free throws at the moment, which is frustrating. And I've I've noticed that with a few players, it's like, it feels like there's a load more than there ever yeah. was in terms of like, normally there was always like Shaq and a few others who like elite players who struggle with free throws. This playoffs, there's Yanis, there's Simmons, there's Luca weirdly, who considering what a good shooter is generally is inexplicable. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Dallas is a strange team and it's hard to work out how you would improve that team because they're so dominant and focused on Luca. It may even be difficult to attract a star to play with him because it's a little bit like LeBron, unless you're like um, uh, Anthony Davis and you don't necessarily need to like dominate the ball. Yeah. You, like you, you saw it when he was paired with Bosch and Wade or like Kevin Love, for example, at least one star he plays alongside LeBron, I mean, has to like take a bit of a back seat and see their numbers go right down. And I feel like Luca may be going towards that as well. And the other thing I think is like it that system enables him to put up these insane numbers, but we've never really seen that kind of system win a championship in the NBA. Um James Harden was like that in Houston too, obviously. Yeah. He, um but yeah, I feel like they they can't necessarily play like that if a championship is their goal. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the the weird comparison to draw is probably Kawhi Leonard when he was the Raptors. Like you've got this one guy who is the magnet for everything on offense, and then you you have to build a team around him. And it feels like that's the approach that they're going to have to take with with Luca. Like Kristaps is there. I read he was getting paid more than Giannis, Bradley Beal, Julius Randle, Jamal Murray. Like, there's a bunch of guys that he's getting paid more money. 
then, and it's just it's it's um it's unbelievable that he's there. But he's obviously still playing off the back of his sort of Knicks days, where he was going to be the next great thing. Like he was the unicorn, um, and now he obviously isn't the unicorn, and they've got to find a way of building a team around him, which is going to be difficult because you've got to find somebody who's willing to sort of take him on and his contract on. But then you look at like the build up of this this team around him. You've got Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, Maxi Cleaver, Trey Trey Burke, like. A lot of those guys, if you put the, you know, you sit there and you look at the rosters of the Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks and you think this series should never be close, but somehow it was. You mentioned the two towers thing that Rick Carlisle obviously went to, and that worked wonders for them in a couple of those games. It just fell short last night when you had Luca trying to do everything. And Luca, for as amazing as he is on the offensive end, he's still, he's still a liability on the defensive end and he hasn't built up that strength. And Chris Taps as well, like for, all his sort of athleticism he can bring at times, like he is not the strongest of guy and he gets beaten about in the post like nobody's business. And you saw that with Kawhi and Paul George last night. Like those are two forwards, like, but they are aggressive and they play more like power forwards and they will they will back you down and, and size you up and try and take advantage of that. And that's what we saw in, in game game seven last night. So I think Dallas have got a lot to, to think about. Um, we mentioned earlier that obviously Portland went out to Denver Damian Lillard did everything he possibly could to win that that team, that series, um, and it just didn't work out for him. They're another team where it seems the last few years we've been discussing, does Dame and CJ McCollum work together? Now we're at the point where Terry Stotts is going. You know, They're debating about bringing in coaches. We've seen Jason Kidd mention. Jason Kidd has then subsequently said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And you know, after Damian Lillard said he wanted him, it was all a bit of a mess. Um, and now you've got, them in a situation where I think Cleveland have said they'd be interested in CJ McCollum and a couple of other teams. So if you're Portland now, like what direction do you go? Do you try and blow this up or do you try and bring in someone like Carl Anthony Towns, who was mentioned the other day as being somebody who you could, you need somebody to pair alongside Damian Lillard, who's going to help take the attention away from him all the time, I guess. Yeah. Portland's a difficult one for me because small market team with a, uh, a good team uh, with obviously a major superstar in Lillard. There were even, um, so Lillard posted some lyrics uh, following their exit that some people were interpreting as like him trying to decide yeah, yeah, if he should stay in leave, Portland yeah. or, or whether he, he should leave, um, which would be a shame, I think, because he his whole career, he's kind of been very firmly about like how much he likes Portland, how he, he wants to like retire with the same team and all that sort of stuff. Um, but equally you can see like he's 30 years old now, he may want to have a better chance of a ring and the way Portland's roster is constructed, it feels like if you move any of their major players, you're probably not getting back value for what you're giving up. Even with Damian Lillard, I don't feel like there's a deal out there right now where you're getting anything close to how good he is back yeah. in return. And he, he's like a funny player where is he in the top five? I feel like he's like right below the like best of the best in the NBA. He's like very next on the list, but he's a difficult player to trade for that reason. Because if you trade for anyone below him, you're not getting value in return and no one above him is good. Teams are going to give up. So yeah, I feel like trading him is a disaster, but yeah, Portland's one of the most difficult teams to actually improve, I think. Even when you look at who their major contributors were this year, you're looking at like, they got a lot from Menes Cantor this year, where yep. 
And that shouldn't be the case. And I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I probably do mean that disrespectfully. But <laughs> if he's your like best five, uh, and that's mainly because Nurkic was injured for like the whole year, basically, obviously. But um, yeah, it, you're, you're not shooting for a championship if Carmelo Anthony at this point of his career and Ennis Cantor is a yeah. viable like four and five in your in your major lineups. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what I guess they tried. They tried that Norman Powell experiment, and like you know, sometimes you get thirty from Norm, sometimes you get five. Like he's not a, he's never been a consistent guy. He just sort of fits the fits the the systems he tends to play in. So I actually hated that move that as well. I talked depth. about it a couple of times on here, where Gary Trent Jr. for me, he's bigger than Norman Powell. Yeah. He's more happy in his role as just an unbelievable shooter and not necessarily like a creator when you've got McCollum and Dame already. Norman Powell needs the ball more. I like him as a player, but I just I actually think he's a slightly worse fit for that team than Trent was. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, and and in the playoffs, size matters. Like that's one that you know, if you can sit there and not be backed down and pushed around by your opponent, you're 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 taking that you you can have an advantage. Um Nurkic was immediately questioned after the game about his future in Portland and he said it was up for debate, which isn't a very confident answer if you're if you're Neil O'Shea and you're thinking, Oh, I was gonna bring him back, that's probably not the answer you're expecting to get from him. Um but yeah, Dame's cryptic um Instagram reminded me of the times other players have done similar things and then, you know, a couple of months later we've seen players move on. But I mean, Dame's one of those guys who's always said, I'm never going anywhere. I am Portland until I die. You know, I'm going to win a ring here. He's sung about it. Like, if he moved, would anybody have any right to hate him for that decision with the way that the current sort of player power empowerment is in the NBA and, you know, guys dictating where they play? I mean, look at Brooklyn at the moment. You've got three guys who have basically dictated a situation to get to where they've got to. And now they are, you know, they've got, I think I saw early on there, the, their offense is the best in NBA history. Like we saw the Rockets a few years back. They had, you know, the best at the time and it's been surpassed already. And you'll notice because of synergy sports, but like the isolation plays and percentages in the playoffs for the nets was already high and they weren't playing a lot of minutes together during the regular season. Now we're in the postseason. It's gone through the roof. I think it's jumped from like 17% to 32 or something. And teams are just struggling to deal with that. And, the Bucks struggled with it the other night. Like you just had Kyrie driving into the paint and then he's just making crazy whip around passes without looking. And, you know, Durant's there to throw it down. Like they have got so many weapons and I guess Dame's thinking I could be in a situation where I'm as good as these guys. And if I was playing with another one or two of them, you know, we could do that. So what would you, what would your thoughts be on if he was to, to say, look, I'm, I'm moving. I can't see him being the sort of player who wants to force his way out of anywhere. Like I think it would have to be the right offer, but like we've just said, I don't, I'm not entirely sure they will get the value back from him in the first place. Yeah, I'm also not sure where it would be. Um, and m- maybe it will depend, even like thinking about players on like even remotely similar contracts. Yeah. Um, let's bring up the uh, players' contracts. In so, so let's have a look. So players who I could envision a universe in which their team would be willing to let them go who are on similar contracts. Uh, also, have we got a factor in the age here? Because Dame is 30 at the moment. Like I think he's yeah. turning 31 in a couple of weeks. Like, Do you have so, to factor that in if you're trading for him? <laughs> let's go down. John Wall, the Portland Blazers, Portrayal Blazers do not want there is uh, Paul George would be an interesting one because yeah. 
he, uh, as good as he is as a player, has not lived up to his contract, um, <laughs> despite his obviously, uh, by his own words, his MVP season that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Butler would be an interesting one. Um, yeah, this is where I go, Kemba Walker. Like I go down the list, I just don't see any of these guys being traded and the money needs to work in a trade. So it would be difficult to work. Kevin Love, that would be a fun one. Send Dame to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> see how he enjoys well, At least Kevin Love would finally get traded and wouldn't have to see his name come up in you know, trade highlights or rumours every, every few months. <laughs> uh, you know this one, actually. If the Bucks disappointed, pairing yeah. Damian Lillard with Yanis, uh, with Chris Middleton going in the other direction, that would actually be one of the only ones, I think, where Middleton would still be really good in Portland and Dame and Yanis would be a real potent combo. But this, this is, I mean, this is all made up stuff. Yeah. None of this is happening. And you're looking for a team that's effectively going to have to mortgage its future on you. Like if they're doing badly and they need to then, you know, it'd be like when the Thunder traded for Paul George and then moved him on. Like they basically got, you know, a whole host of draft picks back and that's now them in their, their full rebuild stage. So they are a very difficult um, turning point for the franchise. But, you know, it, it people are sitting here saying ter- the Terry Stotts era has been terrible, but like they went to a Western Conference Finals a couple of years back. Like they've had some good moments. Um, uh, I think- this is a recurring debate is among NBA fans as well, and even like front office people. Where is it better to is be relevant for? <laughs> let's say they're like super relevant for Damian Lillard's entire career, and they they watch really fun games and playoff series. Is that worse than being in a constant rebuild where they're kind of like let's say like compare it to a team like the Knicks, for example, where for like eight years they've just been in constant rebuild mode where you're not making the playoffs there's no sign of being better um i'd still rather be a relevant team so yeah i I feel like if they would change it would be more likely have to be a full rebuild than a quick win option because i don't think a quick win option is going to happen with that team yeah no I, i think you're probably right um Moving on to well, this is the Lakers we were touching on briefly, but your Knicks, like, do you think they need to do anything this off season, or is it just like I mentioned briefly, uh, a case of one year too early, and they just need to build up that experience? So I'm actually planning to write something for the site on the Knicks. In that, it's a really a- interesting um, few years because well, it. I think they're going to be opportunistic in. Uh, if a star wants out and wants to force their way to New York to play in the market, uh, they're obviously going to jump on that. But, Does Damian Lillard fit that situation? <laughs> but why would Dame want to go there now where True. the Knicks would have to give up a huge amount to get him, at which point he's kind of on his own in New York. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't be in a better scenario necessarily. So I don't see Lillard actually wanting that. Um, but... The other thing to monitor is the contract situation where because the Knicks were determined to like bottom out the roster and have full flexibility, after next season, they only have about two players on contract. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. So there's they also have so they have to make decisions on like most of the roster as to whether to keep them or not. And nearly all of those guys have played well enough where their agents are going to be demanding more money than they're currently on. And so 
you have the likes of like Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, those kind of guys who they played really well this season, but overpaying them would also be a mistake and set the team back in terms of actually getting closer to like a team that's genuinely going to be a contender. So yeah, there isn't like a right or wrong for the Knicks now. I think mm. they also have to make a big decision on Randall where he had a career season, but ultimately disappointed in the playoffs and his agent is going to be demanding a big money extension. So um, in my perspective, the Knicks have to do that because uh, they have to be a franchise who starts to be seen to reward uh, loyalty and players who perform because it's all about building credibility in the eyes of the NBA uh, kind of at large and the player base. So I feel like they're going to have to extend Randall to big money Uh, You're going to have Barrett coming up in a few years who's been awkward in terms of he is very good, not a star at this point. So what kind of money you extend Randall, uh, sorry, RJ Barrett on eventually uh, is also going to be a big decision. So yeah, in, in summary, a lot is up in the air with the Knicks right now. Yeah. Well, they've, they've, they've managed to um, exceed expectations this year. So I think that that puts them in good stead for the future going forward. Um, just touching on my Lakers really briefly. I mean, we obviously got bounced out by by the Suns. Uh, it may surprise you to to know, but I did actually predict this. I have my bracket, which we're obviously all doing online. I had I picked the Suns. I just felt like the Lakers were probably taking on a little bit too much this this season with everything that happened last season and the the sort of weirdness of the roster this year. I mean, you had a fight at the center and power forward position for the later half of the season. Um, Mark Gasol was getting torched at stages in that game six the other night by Devin Booker, who was just basically picking on him. It was like picking on the old guy when you're playing, you know, down the local court. Like you pick on the guy who just can't keep up with you, and that's what they were doing. Anthony Davis should have never been in that game in the first place. He looked like he was, you know, not capable of walking properly in the warm-ups, let alone when he actually played, and he didn't last very long in that one. Um, and the Lakers are just one of the. They're just. You know, I think they were fr- they've thrown everything into this LeBron James era, and I'm not entirely sure it's going to work out for them at the moment. So we'll see how it goes. It's just frustrating to me seeing all these baby Lakers all over the league doing really well, and we're sort of lumbering with LeBron and, and an injured Anthony Davis at the moment. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I just I just thought I'd, uh, I'd get that in. Plus, I know Ross is in the chat, so it's worth talking about how how good Devin Booker and the Suns were. Um, they obviously go on to the next round now, and. I think the teams that are there, I mean, if you have to pick one of them to go go through, I mean, I think we actually had a question about that. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, da, 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 about who would be coming out of the West. I mean, right now, you could probably pick any one of those teams and they'd have a good chance. It's a really difficult one. As we've kind of already alluded to, like, this is the um, the season where everything possible that you don't expect to happen is happening. So I don't I like uh, players are taking their game to a new level. So out of the West, I think whoever wins the Denver Phoenix series will go to the finals because I think Phoenix were, I, I picked the Lakers over them mostly because I was assuming health yeah, and that wasn't the case for LA at all. Obviously, Davis was a shadow of himself, and I think LeBron did not look like LeBron. So people will like say it's due to age, and that's obviously true to an extent. 
this was the same guy who won the championship last season. So I yeah. think he was also, and he obviously had the high ankle sprain before. And this sounds like I'm making excuses <laughs> for him, but I'm just not convinced LeBron is as uh, lessened as a player as some people seem to think at this point. Um, the Lakers are an interesting one. And I was thinking to myself, like I almost, I'm a LeBron fan. So I'd like to see him win at least one more. but. Um, I almost feel like with him, where he is in his career is, uh, I think I'm four months older than LeBron, which has uh, always <laughs> made me feel like I'm basically the same guy as him and identify yeah, with him yeah. in, some, in a lot of ways. Similar career um, trajectory. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what, uh, what the thing I'd love for LeBron is for him just to take a massive pay cut. He doesn't need the money at this point in his career. Uh, he has more money than him, his kids, and his grandkids will ever be able to spend. So money is meaningless for him at this point. Uh, and just like help the Lakers actually get some more talent in there because I, I really don't really like their roster. No, uh, it I sucks. like LeBron, obviously. I like Davis, obviously, when he's healthy. The rest of it, I don't really like at all. So um, I actually think his Cleveland teams were better suited as LeBron teams where you could what you don't have in LA is like the basic LeBron plus four shooter lineups, uh, which were like his bread and butter for yeah. uh, those Cleveland seasons. Um, and you see like if, if he was on Atlanta, for example, that is a perfect roster for him where everyone on the floor can shoot the lights out in certain lineups. Um, Kuzma's disappointed. Uh, <laughs> there was a famous, people were digging it out before the season. Uh, LeBron quote tweeted, um, I can't, maybe it was Bleacher or Overtime or one of those media networks who was saying like, oh, wh- which NBA player do you expect to like take the next step this year? Carl. And uh, he quote tweeted it saying, Carl Kuzma. That's like a passive aggressive bullying him into being a better player. Um, well, I, yeah, I remember I, sitting here during the finals last year with Mike and actually praising him for the way he had stepped up and, you know, was playing some significant minutes and moments. But, you know, two points the other night is not exactly what you want when he's, he's, he's supposed to be this offensive threat. But Carl's one of those guys, like when you watch him, if you give him the ball and you let him have his chances, then he, he tends to heat up. But you're either going to get bricks or you're going to get you know a positive result and you can't really risk that come the playoffs you need guys who are effective and can you know when LeBron's the guy getting trapped at the the half court and guys are all over him you need somebody else who can create that and with Anthony Davis injured there's nobody else on that roster who could do it like Marc Gasol could have done it five years ago but he's totally lost any form of speed and sort of he's I don't know if he's necessarily weakened but he's not the guy he once was in the post and you know guys take advantage of that nowadays. So Carl Kuzma, for some reason, is always that he's always going to be that scapegoat for anything going wrong for the Lakers. Like I think they put a lot on Taylor Horton Tucker. Like, you know, he did play well throughout the series, but you, you can't really rely on somebody who's just been a, a sort of pitch role player for most of his career so far. Um, but like, there's not, there aren't those um, sort of secondary names that you get, you know, you got with the Cavs teams and you got with the Heat teams, you know, the Mike Millers and, guys like that who were who were helping out and assisting. I guess Wes, Wesley Matthews is one of them, but again, his health's been up and down. Um, we'll see what happens next season, but there's obviously that discord between Mark Gasol and some of the other guys in the centres there. And at one stage early on in the season, he was out of the lineup completely. Um, so the Lakers have got quite a lot of internal discussions to have first, I think. And Dennis Schroeder said he'll be back. So, you know, <laughs> at least we can run some form of a fast break next year. Um, 
that actually brings me on to I think it was Flying Tortoise who asked a question. Um, seeing Atlanta beat the number one seed tonight got me thinking. What is the most unlikeliest matchup for the finals? Um, he puts. I think it would be Atlanta being there would be one out of the out of the West. Mavs the Mavs would be the other. So again, that comes down to this whole uncertainty that we we've, we've been talking about. The whole let's just shoot the breeze. What you know? What would surprise you? And Atlanta being in the NBA finals would probably be one of them. <laughs> Do you know what? I think Atlanta is the, the Mavs are obviously out now, uh, which weren't at the point he asked that question, but yeah. I think Atlanta's the only team that would be a genuine surprise team. Cause I feel like if you described any of the other teams as a surprise at this point, it would be a little bit disrespectful to them because of how good they were in the regular season. Denver's was amazing. Obviously they got the MVP and Jokic Phoenix had an unbelievable season. Utah had, the best record in the West. So uh, the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So, and obviously a very deep too. So yeah, I don't think uh, obviously you can't describe Brooklyn with their talent level or the Bucks with Yanis and they've had the best, not this year, obviously, but they're coming off seasons of having the best record in the NBA even. So yeah, yeah, I think Atlanta is the only real surprise team left. Yeah. I'm going to throw these questions in here because it seems like the relevant place to talk about it considering we've, probably got over some of this stuff already but um Jonas Stott asked when watching Damian Lillard and Luca desperately trying to drag their respective teams along in the playoffs who do you look at more and think please someone get them some help and who would you be who would be your ideal help for each of them so Luca we were suggesting that he's going to be one of those guys who probably just needs a bunch of really good role players around him (laughs) so I came up with so of the two of them I'm going to say Damian Lillard, I would like help more only because he's been facing this same problem for longer than Luca has. Yeah. Um, so for Luca, I thought he's so dominant on the ball. So you want someone off the ball. I don't feel like he needs a dominant big, as we talked about, because of the system they run. And you're seeing like Porzingis is not even touching the ball, basically. So I have gone for Clay Thompson as his ideal uh, person to play alongside. He's going to shoot the lights out doesn't even need to bounce the ball ever and can score 70-odd points in a game. Um, so that's obviously a bit unrealistic. The more realistic, but still not going to happen, pick for him, I've gone for Julius Randle because I, having watched him for a whole season, I think he would be a nice fit in terms of he can really shoot the ball from the outside so he can spot up. He can play the role I was saying they need to use Porzingis in, the Dirk role, where... Uh, he can t- take some pressure off Luca by just dumping it into him and letting him go to work. Uh, he rebounds well, obviously. So yeah, Randall was a slightly more realistic one, but one that's still not going to happen for. Uh, who did you have for Luca? I, I well, I, I'm I'm not picking another star. I'm just picking a bunch of really good role players you can play around him, so that uh, you know, you know, we need some some wing guys who are going to come in there that, that are a step up above someone like Dorian Smith. Um, weirdly, the guy they got rid of this offseason, I think it was Seth Curry, I think he would have really helped them in this series against the Clippers. Like, he's one of those guys who, at least if they kick it out to him, they're going to get some form of offensive production from him. And they weren't getting that from uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and some of the other guys who they've you know, brought in as, as replacements. But I think they need to base themselves on that Toronto Raptors model that won the finals. Like You have your one guy who's good at... You know, Luca's going to get better on the defensive end as he gets older, as he's as he matures, his strength's going to build. 
So he will become one of those guys who is similar to sort of Kawhi. He's got all the offensive skills, just needs to work on that defensive end. And then you build around him by adding sort of perimeter shooters and guys who can come in there and just do the dirty um, on them. So I think that's how you would build a team around Luka Doncic. You don't necessarily pair him with another star because he's one. Of, he's so such an enigmatic presence that, and that's the problem we've had with Chris Stapps. Chris Stapps has come in and now a couple of years on, he's fed up with it because all of it, all the talk about Dallas is Luka. Nobody else exists in Dallas. You know, Maxi Kleber could have the greatest season in the history of basketball and nobody would notice because Luca's there and taking up all the highlights every week. So you've got to have guys who are happy going into that situation. And that's luckily what Toronto ended up in when they brought Kawhi. And obviously they traded the De, um, DeRozan to bring that, to bring that situation to four, but, but Kyle Lowry and guys like that were willing to s- sort of step back and let that happen. And then they built their team around sort of one solid role player. So I think that's probably the way you would, you would look at Luca as for Dame maybe you need to bring in a big who can stretch the floor and you know not only help set that pick and roll but if if that breaks down he can stretch out and shoot the three and they haven't had that like Nurkic has been okay but you need somebody who's maybe a bit more reliable um the Carl Anthony Towns thing that we floated earlier was something that was obviously flying around on Twitter quite quickly but I'm not quite sure how that how that works out especially if you're Minnesota like you're under new ownership I think Alex Rodriguez and stuff have gone in there and bought that team like you're not really probably going to want to blow up and get rid of your best players. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting situation, but um, CJ McCollum's probably the guy who goes and then somebody fits in there. Maybe it is Kevin Love or somebody, somebody like that, but again, I don't know how far that pushes pushes him on. Um, right, moving on, because we're on that time. Nothing but Just, just one, one, uh, one quick one, just before we get that. I, on. I went for two <laughs> unrealistic ones for Dame. Yanis, uh, just because... Uh, I feel like Dame needs to play alongside a great big. Uh, and the other one, in an ultimate statement of his political power in the league, <laughs> if LeBron was able to get Dame yeah. to the Lakers, uh, I feel like that would be an insane combo. Uh, and one quick one, a player who is on big money, who his team could be, I think, convinced to move him, that would actually fit both of those players is Tobias Harris, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Tobias is a that's a solid shot. Just whether Philly would be willing to see how far Philly get this uh, this um postseason. Um, yeah, so nothing but Nick silly nonsense by Nick. <laughs> nothing but Nick silly nonsense. Okay, I'm excited about this one. So later this month, the US Pentagon is set to release a report on UFOs. Like all alien obsessives, and like all of you, I'm sure. I'll be watching and waiting with bated breath to read this previously confidential dossier. My question to you is from the world of basketball, who are your top three players most likely to have been or currently be an alien and why? Okay. Uh, my number one would probably be... Bar- <laughs> my number one would probably be Baron Davis. I mean, he claimed he was once abducted by aliens, so it would make sense that he's probably their sleeper agent and they were just getting him back. Um, second, I'd probably pick Anthony Davis based on the fact that he's always injured. I mean, he's obviously not acclimatized to Earth's gravity yet, which is why he gets injured all the time. He's got a superhuman wingspan, an alien face, a monobrow. Like, it's all starting to add up. And he did a, he did like a Men in Black thing a couple of years ago, like a commercial for Men in Black, which was quite amusing. So I think he, he works. And my most unexpected alien presence on Earth ever would be 
former Oklahoma and uh, Seattle Supersonics legend Nick Collison. I think he would. He's the most unexpected, you know, sleeper alien agent ever. So I would probably put Nick Collison on there because he's just a guy that you'd never expect. Like, didn't exactly light anything up in the NBA, but was always consistent, solid, you know, present. So I'd pick Nick Collison. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> nice. I like that one. So the first two I picked are kind of linked because I picked them for the same reason in that the aliens, it's a bit like with like the Monstars where they come down and they see the game of basketball and they're like, oh, I see what makes these players good. But they don't realize that they're like exaggerating what uh, like what human capabilities are. So my first yeah. is Wilt Chamberlain because when you look at that guy, he's over seven foot tall. He could <laughs> like, he had records in like, all sorts of sports uh, just based on physicality, let alone on a basketball court. That is not a human being uh, that I recognize. Um, Similarly, Shaquille O'Neal, the guy was inhuman in lots of ways. Like the fact there was a human being that size with that coordination and skill and all the rest of it, I cannot believe that is a human being. (laughs) And lastly, this guy, I don't think, if you imagine an alien, like the, the classic, Gray, uh, like sort of teardrop shaped head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Sam Cassell ever tried to <laughs> even hide he was an alien. He looks so, like he walked yeah. out of Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Great player, but yeah, didn't even try to hide it. Oh, that's a that's a class one. Yeah, you've got the traditional Mars Attacks style aliens, or you know something really random and out there. I think Sam Cassell is a great shout. Um, talking to on discourse this week. We're going to see a yeah, like Sam Cassell uh, autopsy video <laughs> released at some point. I'm sure. Is that what the Pentagon's going to release in a few weeks' mm. time? <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus, that'll be a good one. Um, talking to on Discord di- discourse this week. Uh, discourse on Discord this week. Sorry, um, Nick, you're the you're the uh, the, the Discord um, savant, I should say. So, I'll refer to myself as the Discord Don from now on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, one chat that came up today actually was um, we're talking about how esports is being incorporated into the Olympics this year, which is quite exciting in yeah. Tokyo. And um, there was a few opinions read. So mine was quite like a cynical take in that sport. I think feels threatened by esports potential to earn money yeah. and its draw to younger audiences in particular. And so you're seeing it across sports like the NBA, 2K League, F1 has embraced it. All sorts of sports are like adopting it rather than trying to fight it. And so my take is that it's trying to own the income rather than fight it. But yeah, there was a lot of people um, also talking about whether esports kind of like needed its own event, which I think would be awesome as well. Like you yeah. can imagine like instead of like sprinting, throwing, wrestling, weightlifting, all that, all the like Olympic sports, whether it's like Fortnite was a, a thing and like COD was an event and um yeah I can imagine that would be that would be pretty sick I'd watch that well they already have arenas for League of Legends and things like that in Korea mm. don't they so and I'm sure the Bartley Center hosted a, a massive like esports event last year or the year before whenever it was so yeah I think esports are just it is them just trying to you know get part of that massive market that's just exploding especially with everybody at home like the gaming industry has just gone through the roof in terms of the money people are spending on it um discord listener questions we obviously covered a couple of these um hooping and looting blake griffin's all-time ranking question mark he's a funny one where let look let's 
let's get this out of the way for Elliot straight away. Blake was <laughs> unbelievable in that game. Oh yeah, he was amazing. Playing, he was playing five for most of the game in a small ball lineup and made like all the scrappy plays, shot the ball incredibly, like, had a yeah. flawless game basically. But it's also funny now, like how far. The expectations for Blake Griffin have fallen that that is a perfect game for him. Like as good as he was, but like like he's like was like one of the elite players in the entire league for like a long time. Yeah. Um so it's actually just quite funny now that we think of that as being such a great game for him. But yeah, the Nets in general, um just one thing, because I, I I hate if it didn't get mentioned on the pod, was uh, the funniest play in that game, because the Nets were brilliant in that game, and I think they're gonna win that series easily. Uh but and Kevin Durant had an amazing game as well, but he had one really funny play where he, for some reason, he lost uh, his concentration and just thro- he's inbounding the ball with one hand, really kind of lackadaisical, <laughs> and just throws it straight against the backboard and yeah. turns it over. <laughs> Couldn't believe watching that. Yeah, no, that Blake Griffin did have a, a, an amazing game. His all-time rankings an odd one because like those Clippers teams he was with, obviously, never really got as far as anyone expected them to get. Like my biggest memory of that those Clippers teams was them winning a game seven against the Spurs. Like. I don't remember much else apart from, apart from that, so it's probably not a good thing. And that was like four o'clock in the morning. I remember watching that game; it was fantastic. But um, yeah, Blake had a great game the other night. So his all-time ranking, I think, is a bit up for debate. So um, we probably need to move on because we'll be here forever. Um, do also do we understand Mike Miller's egg joke? Gonna say no because even... it flew over my head. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anyone does, but it does raise valid questions over the sentience of eggs and whether they are self-aware or not. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> um, point Wolf Ange, I think that's how you say it. Um, with Portland failing to get through to the next round again, one possible outcome will be breaking up Damien and CJ. Where do you think CJ should go if traded? I'm going to say Philly because I like the Tobias Harris idea. Yeah, he's, I think he'll end up in um, poor old Cleveland for some reason. Bless him. Um, Right, games of the week this week, games to watch. Um, Nick, what's your your game of the week? I have Denver at the Suns Wednesday night because I really like watching both those teams. I think it's going to be an unbelievable series. Yeah, those teams are stacked. I think they'll that, that's probably going to be the series to watch. But my, I'm going to pick um, Clippers at Jazz, which is Tuesday night, Wednesday, three o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, this is the Jazz's test. They've spent the last five years building a team, you know, with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and all the guys they've built around it. Now they need to prove to everybody that this regular season they had, which was phenomenal, was no fluke. Like they need to see if they can handle the Clippers handily. I think it might go six or seven, but it's going to be a good series, whatever happens. And yeah, they're another team that if it all goes wrong for them, where do they go next season? Because people are already talking, saying Rudy's not the right fit and, you know, We'll see. Um, right, closing. Thank you to everyone who's dropped by tonight. Um, there's quite a few of you in the chat. Ross, uh, Hooping and Luton, Hugh, I can see a bunch of you in there. So thank you for turning up tonight. Um, we have new followers on Discord. We haven't had any of those this week. Articles mentioned that earlier. We are working on some stuff. Nick's obviously just teased his um, Nick's article, which is probably coming at some point soon. And we are looking at um, content for the off-season and things. So I'm sure we'll come up with some stuff. Twitter-wise, please do follow us on there. It's... Uh, at Double Clutch UK, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Same handle. I think we're on TikTok now, which I think is the same handle. Kirk's going to say something if I'm wrong, but I think we're on TikTok at Double Clutch UK. Um, but thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next week where we'll be discussing more NBA playoffs. <laughs>